and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Nell Shemrell Harrington. I'm one of your hosts, uh, back from a few weeks of vacation. Glad to be back here and recording. And with me is my uh, co-host, Lee. Lee, how are you doing today? Just another day in paradise, Nell. Just another day in paradise. All right. Well, we've got a topic today that is near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, the topic of Chef, uh, which, full disclosure, is the company I've worked for. I work for. It's the company I've worked for for the past four years. Uh, very happy there. And so we thought, since it's just me and Lee uh, today, it might be fun to have Lee kind of do this in an interview format with me about Chef. So let's. I have not seen these questions beforehand. So it's going to be extra fun. And let's uh, go ahead and go to, to it. Uh, Lee, over to you. All right. Well, as, uh, as somebody who's been in the business for, for a little bit, uh, I certainly know uh, what Chef is. And I've, I've got a couple of uh, preconceived notions on, on how it fits um, against other, uh, other offerings in the space. But now, why don't you tell us and our, our listeners who may not be as familiar with Chef, um, what is it? And, and how is it different from things like uh, CF Engine, Ansible, um, a pile of Bash scripts, uh, things of that nature? Sure. Well, Chef is many things. Chef, first of all, is a company. It's the company that I work for, but it's also a product produced by that company. Uh, so you have Chef the product. It's also occasionally used as an adjective, a verb, an adverb. Uh, there are many definitions of it, but what Chef has been associated with the most historically, the company, uh, we just had our 10-year anniversary a little while ago, is we've most historically been associated with configuration management. So we came after CF Engine, and one of the differences between us and CF Engine is uh, we it's a little we use Ruby so people can define their configuration templates. Uh, we call them recipes, which are kept in cookbooks because we really like continuing with the food analogy. And it's a way for people to define how they want their infrastructure to look. So the uh, the example I often use, and this is public, uh, Facebook is a customer of Chefs. And Facebook has an infrastructure that needs to serve 2 billion users. And that involves a ton of hardware. So to SSH into each of those pieces of hardware and make the manual changes or manual updates would be hellish at best and probably is impossible at the scale that they operate. So what we do, what Chef the product does, is it allows them to define what template they want their infrastructure to look like. And they uh, do that in a recipe. And then they can make a change in that recipe in one place uh, and have it automatically propagate out to their entire fleet. So it's a great way to control the configuration of massive amounts of infrastructure uh, all in one place. Interesting. All right. Now, you, I noticed that you said infrastructure, and you didn't say you know, like end hosts or, or VMs. Um, is, is Chef, can, can it manage more than just the end hosts? Absolutely. Uh, so Chef the product can definitely manage VMs. Uh, we have additional products as well. Uh, so the past few years, and we talked about this in a previous show, uh, the buzzword has been containers. 
And so one of the things you can use Chef the product for is to set up the hosts that your containers need to run on. But we also have other products which work with containers and work with other things. Uh, the two, uh, two of the ones we have, one is Inspec, which is a fo has a heavy focus on compliance. We allow you to define in code security templates, uh, how you want your infrastructure to be secured. And then you can run those uh, templates, or I, templates isn't the right word, but you can run those tests, let's say, on your infrastructure, make sure the right ports are closed, uh, the right, uh, you, anything security related that you need is there when you expect it to be there. Now, our other product is Habitat. And Habitat is not just for containers. Uh, it's It can be used with containers, but briefly what Habitat is, is it's a way, it's software that allows you to take an application and then define the way you want that application deployed and run in one package together. So with Classic Chef, you would have your application source code in one place and you'd have the chef source code in another. With Habitat, you you bring them together into one artifact that we call a heart file. And then you can run that heart file on infrastructure or you can export it to Docker container images, Pivotal Cloud Foundry images. Uh, I, we, our container images work with OpenShift uh, and Kubernetes manifests and many, many more. So the idea is that you can create your software and uh, package it once and then export that to anything you need to run on it. So it's, it's interesting because I mean, we're most associated with the product of Chef. It shares the name that makes sense. Uh, but as the industry has changed a little bit, Chef Chef's product lineup has also changed along with the industry. Interesting. I had never heard of Habitat before. Um, is it any relation to like like a Ruby Omnibus installer, or is it does it take it a little bit further? It takes it a little bit further, though. Uh, Omnibus, we we do have an Omnibus pro Ruby Omnibus uh, installers were, I think, the inspiration, one of the big inspirations for it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So just the 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 way uh, Adam Jacob, uh, Chef's co-founder and former CTO, is on the board now, put it to me was he wanted a way for software to run on shoes. I said, what do you mean you want it to run on shoes? And he said, well, you should take any application and be able to run it on any type of infrastructure without having to rewrite or modify the application. And uh, that included uh, smart shoes in his mind. We don't have it running on smart shoes just yet, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good goal. So the idea is just to have this universal, uh, completely agnostic packaging format that people can then export to whatever they, wherever they want to run. Well, hope, hopefully they've got uh, Dragonfly BSD as a, as a build target because that'll certainly get you at least to toasters. That is true. That is true. We have had a lot of discussion about making ARM Linux a supported platform. Uh, it's not yet, but there is a lot of appetite for it. I believe it. So would it be safe to say, uh, and we, we, we've talked about this a little bit in, in earlier episodes, but how does Chef fit into like an overarching DevOps culture? Right. Uh, and that's a good question. As we've discussed earlier, as you, you hear the, uh, the the argument, oh, DevOps is tools versus DevOps is culture, and it's both. So 
the problem chef solves, and I remember this from my career 10 years ago, is trying to keep track of all the manual configuration changes you've made to your infrastructure, which is impossible. And we broke things a lot when we tried to do that. So that is a big source of pain and frustration. And it also meant that getting new infrastructure uh, for developers took a very long time because it had to all be hand configured. So one of the many goals of DevOps is to be able to deliver software much faster. And using the Chef to manage your infrastructure or your applications uh, or your security compliance, whatever it is, it is you need, allows you to run faster and allows you to, it allows less room for errors since everything is automated. Fair enough. So I was, um, I, I, I was anticipating that, that we talk a little bit about uh, uh, pull-based versus push-based. Oh, yeah. Um, versus just uh, state files and, and using something like Kubernetes to, uh, you know, to, to resolve uh, an in-system state. Um, but with it, my my understanding of Chef is that it, it's primarily uh, and and again this is, I I just heard about Habitat when you mm. talked about it and I think this kind of addresses it a little bit. Um, but Chef solo aside, uh, is, is pull based uh, configuration management um, is it needed much these days? Uh, in you know now that we have AMI images, you know we're building with mm. Packer. Uh, you know, shoving everything into a container with with Docker, um, you know, can can regular bog standard uh, open source Chef uh, be used to to manage objects or artifacts of of that nature? It can. Right. Uh, and one thing I do always mention is uh, Chef does run. There is still a lot of uh, organizations, mostly banks and government agencies, that run mainframe. Uh, Chef does run on mainframes. So you're probably not going to take the software that runs on a mainframe and put it in a container. So that would be really cool. <laughs> I would, if someone has done that, please do a conference talk on it or write a blog post on it. I would love to uh, find out how you did it. Uh, so classic Chef, I just made that up. I don't know if that's actually what it's called is focused on the infrastructure layer and that very much that uh, that pull system. Uh, you'd have uh, the uh, uh, you'd have a chef server and then you'd have several uh, running as a central one that contains all your cookbooks. And then you'd have several uh, the pieces of infrastructure you want to configure. Uh, so several VMs, let's say, running chef client, and it would be a uh, pulling from chef server to see if there's uh, if there's an update to the configuration on a every a certain amount of time. So that's where the, the, the push-pull uh, idea uh, comes from. Um, with Habitat, uh, it's a little different in that there's not a central orchestrator like the Chef server or even like Kubernetes, though you can use Habitat with Kubernetes. Uh, with Habitat, the idea is that that application artifact contains all the information it needs to be able to uh, run itself. Uh, we use what's called the Habitat supervisor to run Habitat packages. And the supervisor is uh, running on each application or running on each piece of infrastructure that's running that package. And it is what, how you would uh, apply configuration changes. So you would make a change in a configuration template, kind of, kind of like that, that templated idea for, that Kubernetes does, yeah. and then upload that to the supervisor, and the supervisor would coordinate updating all the individual piece of, pieces of infrastructure running that particular package. 
All right, so you, you feed it the, uh, the the manifest, and you you rely on the the habitat infrastructure to to pull it into being. Scheduling processes, well, how, however that looks like to, to uh, as it's originally specified, um, and just making sure that that it is consistent eventually. Exactly, eventual consistency. Uh, one of the cool things Habitat does is, let's say you're running a database cluster. Um, most people want to run their database cluster, cluster in a leader follower topology. So that means you have one, let's say that you're using virtual machines, one VM is receiving all of the write requests, and then you have multiple follower VMs that receive all of the uh, read requests. Let's say we're running a MySQL cluster. Now with Habitat, once you would spin up the MySQL uh, package on each of these pieces of infrastructure, uh, they would automatically on their own elect a leader. We have a built-in algorithm that does that. And should the leader go offline, the remaining uh, pieces of infrastructure, because they're connected by that Habitat supervisor, would realize they don't have a leader, uh, realize they're not fulfilling their contract uh, to have a leader, and they would automatically elect a new one. All right. So it, it's kind of like how if you were running an SCD cluster or a zookeeper cluster, um, yeah, I, I know zookeeper touts like their out view. We have the best uh, application of this particular algorithm, which is a little bit too technical for me. Right. Um, but it, it, it sounds like it has a, a similar algorithm behind it to where it, it tries to, to not have a, a split a split brain instance where you, um, you know, there's two masters trying to write to the common data store at once. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, one scenario is if you, let's say you, you have a network split and you have the leader and some of the followers go on one side of the network split, you have the uh, rest of the followers on the other side of that network split. Well, the ones that don't have a leader will automatically elect a leader. But if that network split goes away and they come back together, they will realize that they have two leaders. Their contract is only for one leader. Uh, so one of the leaders will be demoted. Nice. Yeah, if, it's, it's pretty nifty. But if there were, were rights to that host in the, in the meantime that was demoted, how, how does it handle that? That is a good question. And that's something I will need to get back to you on. Okay. So it, it sounds like um, you know, the, the the big benefits to the you know the, the line working SRE slash you know DevOps engineer slash sysadmin you know old school words mm -hmm. um, that's you know it, it's pretty obvious how it makes uh, makes their lives easier but uh, what what would you say like the the big benefit to um, to say a manager of SREs or or even to a, a manager of managers or even uh, the the business as a whole. Do you mean of Habitat or of Chef in general? Of, of Chef in general. Right. Uh, the, the analogy I like to use is I had my previous IT jobs before I came to Chef, and Chef obviously uses our products internally, is I would always, on my nights and weekends, I would always have this cloud of doom and gloom over my head, uh, dreading what I was going to find on Monday morning, what was going to break, uh, what will someone make a manual change to, not realizing they shouldn't make that manual change, you know, what will I find, find out. Um, I don't have that working at Chef, knowing that we're using these automated systems. I, I have confidence that my environments will be consistent. 
And when you have consistent environments, that means you can move much faster. Uh, for a manager, I would say you'll be able to get code changes shipped much faster. You'll be able to get new applications uh, up and running much faster. And it allows you to move at the speed that this industry moves almost, which is uh, near light speed, I would say. Nice. <laughs> so they, right. they trust that their infrastructure was in the same state that they left it on Friday afternoon. Correct. And have there ever been instances where that's broken anyway? Yes. I mean, I mean, uh, there was one story I heard about a data center catching on fire. Uh, we, we can't help you much with that, unfortunately, <laughs> on, a, on a software, uh, on a software level. But it just, you know, one of the things I hear a lot in DevOps transformation stories, whether with Chef or with other, you know, something else, is everyone's heart rate is much lower. Uh, it's, that, um, you know, they, again, they know the environment's going to be in the state that they left it in. And if they, something does break, they know where they need to start to fix it, at least. Fair enough. Yeah, I, uh, I, I have definitely worked with other uh, configuration management systems that will not be named um, mm -hmm. that have a, a more manual uh, push-based model. Right. Um, and, and having the, the infrastructure change over the weekend by, by somebody else and not being able to trust uh, trust the consistency is definitely why I, I personally prefer um, you know pull models like right. Jeff and yet yet even other configuration mm -hmm. management systems. <laughs> yeah. So, it, oh, go ahead, please. I was gonna say it's funny. Uh, sometimes when I'm at a conference, because it's it's pretty well known that I work for Chef, I was sitting next to a friend from Puppet or a friend from Red Hat slash Ansible, and people look at us kind of oddly and said, "How do you, how do you how do you two get along?" And I said, "Well, I mean, both of our answers for when people ask, should I use Chef or should I use Puppet or should I use Ansible, is number one, just use some configuration management, use something." Anything's exactly. better than a pile of bash scripts. Anything's better than a pile of bash scripts or someone having to keep the entire configuration in their head. Right. Uh, it's so much better. Now that said, the different configuration management tools are, some of them are more appropriate for different types of environments. Like I would say to someone, if you're only managing five uh, pieces of infrastructure, Chef might be overkill for you. Uh, something like Ansible might work a little better. And then uh, is a, there's also instances where Puppet might work a little better. So, I mean, the big drive of DevOps is to use something, yeah, use something at least that keeps your environments consistent. Um, and as for which specific tool you should use, it depends on your individual needs and your business's individual needs. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, how when you're running, you know, three to five hosts, uh, a different tool might be um, a better fit. What are um, what are some compromises to be aware of uh, when when a, a shop you know goes chef uh, versus uh, some of the the other alternative ways of, of managing their infrastructure? The biggest one is chef has historically been harder to get started with. Yeah. Now this has gotten better. We've got a lot of great uh, resources on our Learn Chef site, which uh, helps uh, teach people how to use Chef, how to use Inspecty, how to use Habitat, how to use all of our stuff. But know that there is a bigger learning curve than some other projects. 
So that's the reason, one of the reasons if someone wants to just, you know, manage less than 10 servers, uh, you might not need to go through all you need to go through to learn Chef in order to do that. Now that said, if you've got a fleet of 100,000 servers, then yes, uh, going through the process of learning Chef, learning how to use it, uh, learning how to adapt it for your specific needs, that is something someone would get a lot of value out of. I believe it, yes. <laughs> If, if you could wave a, a magic wand uh, and change one thing about Chef the product, um, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. I'd make it easier to upgrade. This is something that, and I think we, we talked a little bit in the pre-show how you once were part of an upgrade. What was it, from Chef 10 to Chef 11? Yes. Right. It's, it's getting better, but it's still not easy to upgrade uh, chef servers uh, or any, any you know, chef versions. That is something, uh, if I could wave a magic wand, I would make much easier. Nice. All right. So uh, while, while I was frantically re uh, researching this list of questions, um, I, I stumbled across uh, the, the chef Wikipedia page, and, and it, apparently uh, you folks went uh, to an Apache 2.0 open source uh, license in this, you know, this past April. Any, any thoughts on, on what led to that, to that decision? That is what I was working on for six months. <laughs> about. Um, so there, there are two aspects to this decision. Uh, one was we used to run some chef projects as open source and some as closed source. Uh, the problem we so the open source ones would be under Apache 2.0 and the closed source ones would be under other things. And the other part was we did not charge for the open source products, but we did charge for the closed source ones. So this is known as the the open core model. And right. for some organizations, open core works very well. But the problem we found was that really incentivized us to put more resources on the closed source products rather than the open source products, because that is where we were making our money. And Chef is a business, to be yeah. frank. And that meant the open source projects were suffering. So what we did uh, this past April, what we announced at least, we started the process many months beforehand, was all of our major products are now open source. Uh, the code is open source under Apache 2.0. Anything that was Apache 2.0 has remained Apache 2.0. Anything you know, that, that we open source that wasn't open source before was under Apache 2.0. So the code is Apache 2.0, uh, as I've just said multiple times. However, the code only gets you so far, uh, as I'm sure all of us listening know, you need to build the code, you need to compile it, you need to do uh, whatever is necessary to take that code and make it something that you can actually uh, execute on a system. So what we did is we give people, uh, people are welcome to take our code, remove the trademarks and compile it themselves and run it themselves. That's absolutely fine. But if you want to use a build that's created by Chef Software, uh, we build, I think, for like 30, 35 different operating systems uh, with each, each release. If you want to use one created by Chef Software, you need to accept a new license. And that license does involve having a commercial relationship with Chef. So okay. while the code is all open source, builds created by Chef on Chef hardware, uh, those we do require a commercial relationship for now. So those were, those were the, the two big aspects of the change. But the great thing is now every single one of our, our major products is open source and every single one of them is returning value in that every, every one of them is bringing in income now, which means it's much easier for me to go to my VP and say, hey, I need more engineers on this open source project uh, than it was before. 
That's super cool. Are any of the um, are any of the code bases like what? What would you say are the the more popular ones for community contributions? I'd say the most popular ones for community contributions are what we uh, classify as content. So with Chef, I mentioned uh, there's collections of Chef recipes called cookbooks. Uh-huh. A lot of our community, and this has been, I think, one of, one, of the, one of where we've gotten the most interactions or most sources of contributions over the years is creating cookbooks and sharing them with the Chef community uh, and maintaining those cookbooks. That's the other big part of that and sharing it with the Chef community. We have a group of volunteers uh, outside of Chef. They're not Chef employees called the Sioux Chefs. Uh, yes, continuing with the, the food and kitchen analogies, uh, who maintain several community cookbooks for the good of all of the chef community. And as far as Habitat goes, the most uh, contributions we've seen have been the Habitat core plans. So these are pieces of common software, everything from the really low level ones like GCC to you know, high level things like WordPress that are already packaged with Habitat and already ready for you to use with the Habitat supervisor. So the most community uh, contributions we get come to those because people find software, they wanna use it with Habitat, they package it with Habitat, and then they share that plan uh, with the rest of the world. So I'd say that's the most interaction we have, but we do still get interaction on our other code bases as well. Uh, one that we just open sourced was Automate, which is, a, uh, it, the way I describe it is it's, it's a way of getting analytics. Or one of the things it does is it's a way of getting analytics about all your infrastructure. So if you have 100,000 pieces of infrastructure, you can see what chef recipes they're running. Uh, if you've run inspect on them, you can see the results of those inspect scans, whether it's in compliance with your security uh, standards or not. So it's, it's, it's very much a visual way to manage your infrastructure that you're using with chef products. That was just open sourced. Uh, that we haven't gotten a lot of community uh, involvement in that yet, but that is something we're hoping to have happen and that we're taking steps to make happen. So while most of the contributions have been in content, we'd love to see and facilitate the community uh, uh, con- con- contributing to the core products as well. Very cool. Now, I'm, I'm curious, uh, mm-hmm. why? what made Chef go with, with Apache 2.0 as opposed to any of the myriad other open source licenses like MIT or GPL2 or right. GPL3? Right. Uh, see, I don't know why originally the open source projects went with Apache 2.0. Uh, that was in place when I came to Chef four years ago. Um, I do know with Automate or other products we've open sourced, we decided to keep it consistent with Apache 2.0. Um, I can tell you we have a very fantastic legal team who did a thorough investigation of that license and probably considered other licenses as well and decided that was the most applicable one for what we are trying to do. Fair enough. All right. Well, are there, um, are there other questions that I, that I should be asking? Like any, uh, any questions you, you like to answer that I may have glossed over? Sure. So uh, my major role at Chef is being the lead engineer for all our open source efforts. Uh, Chef has over a thousand open source projects. Oh, it's, it used to be 1,200. Uh, but I know, but we, we got rid of a lot of them. Now, many of those are not core chef products, um, but they are usable with core chef products. So one of my major projects while getting ready for this business model change or the uh, April 2nd announcement, and it's ongoing, is creating a system of governance that is consistent across all those projects, not necessarily uniform, 
because okay. it's going to depend on the needs of the project and the project's contributors, but that is at least as consistent. And it's a grand experiment. Uh, we wrote it up, uh, we, we, me and a group of engineers internally at Chef originally drafted it, then we brought in community members under NDA before we announced it, saying, because uh, we knew they would see things that we, weren't, we wouldn't, uh, we are continuing to iterate on it. It is a book that is written as a GitHub repo, uh, and I will put a link in the show notes, but it's the chef open source. It's the chef book of open source, essentially, uh, going through how we can consistently craft in an open source way across all of our projects. Uh, we would love people to take a look at it. We'd love to get feedback on it. And uh, if uh, there are others within open source communities who want to try out the practices in that book, we would welcome it. And we would love to hear from you uh, about uh, how it goes for you and how we can iterate on them further. So I'll make sure that that is in the show notes. All right, that sounds pretty badass. <laughs> Yep. So Lee, I know you, you mentioned you have some experience with Chef. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that for our, our listeners? Um, it's, again, it was, it was a fairly large, uh, you know, a couple, couple hundred hosts um, upgrade from Chef 10 to Chef 11. Uh, and this was back in like 2013, 2014. I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to dig way back into the archives to, to speak on that with, with any authority. Understood. I guess uh, something else I want to mention. Uh, so I keynoted at ChefConf uh, this year, and one of the messages at the end of my keynote, uh, one of the most wonderful things about Chef, which I can't believe I haven't uh, mentioned until now, is we have a very healthy and vibrant and mature community. And what I mean by mature community is, I mean, we all know what can happen in online communities, whether they're open source or not, how they can you know, get, get toxic. Uh, we have largely avoided that. And one of the ways we do that is from the beginning, uh, we chef have held ourselves to a higher standard for how we interact with our community and how we craft software with that community. And we hold the community to that higher standard as well. So one of the hopes is that through our community, we can also influence other open source communities and you know raise the bar for for open source communities uh, across the world. Uh, it's kind of like DevOps. I you know one of the things about, about DevOps when I talk to people about it is I say it the one of the main ide core ideas is it doesn't have to be as painful to manage your IT as it's historically been. I think it's similar with how we're approaching open source. It doesn't have to be as painful to contribute to open source, to interact with each other through open source contributions as it historically has been. So I really see Chef at the forefront of cr creating the world we, we wish to see. Nice. That is super cool. Awesome. Well, uh, shall we uh, move on to picks? Let's move on to picks. All right, so I have one, and I uh, just came back from Germany. That's where I was vacationing. And on the way back, I wanted a game to play on my Nintendo Switch, and I picked up um, Mario and the Battle for the Rabbit Kingdom. I'm probably not quite getting the title right, but I loved it because it's a strategy-based game. It reminds me a lot of one of my favorite all-time all-time favorite games, which is XCOM, uh, where you have to make certain strategic movements. It's kind of like playing chess, but with very cute, cartoony characters and with ever a changing, ever-changing dynamics. So I highly recommend that if you are on the Nintendo Switch. Nice. I, I have a Nintendo Switch, and I have a uh, a, a ten hour plane ride to Europe myself later this summer. Uh, yeah. 
I, I will definitely pick up a copy. Awesome. All right. My, uh, my pick this week is something I've been, uh, been looking forward to, to digging into um, all morning, actually. Uh, this is uh, Elon Musk's uh, Neuralink. Oh, they, yeah. They just had a huge live stream event uh, last night. And unfortunately, I have just been going straight out this, uh, this entire morning. I haven't even had time to read the press release. But it, the, the, the big print giveth and the small print taketh away. And the, uh, the, the big print is extremely compelling. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what the, uh, what the small print is. So my, my pick this week is the, uh, the Neuralink uh, live stream and possibly the, uh, the, the Bloomberg article um, that really, uh, from the, just from the summary, reads like a Neuralink advertisement. So I, I can't really speak to how um, you know, unbiased that is. But I hopefully in another couple hours when I when I'm done with my day, um, I'll be able to dig in and hopefully it delivers. Awesome. Sweet. Well, I look forward to, to I'm gonna be digging in myself and I look forward to discussing it with you in the future. Sounds like a plan. And maybe next time we can get Scott to show up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was just the two of us this week, but uh, hopefully we will we'll get Scott next week too. Well, thank you all of our listeners for joining us uh, and we will talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.